0: <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor.
1: Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Now, I've been trying to expand the library of shows to enjoy here on Theater of the Mind, And tonight we're going to start with a show that had its roots in the Campbell Playhouse, 1938-41, to the successor to Orson Welles' The Mercury Theater of the Air. The show is called Quiet, Please, and it was a radio fantasy and horror program created by Willis Cooper. He's also known for creating Lights Out. Ernest Chappell was the show's announcer and lead actor, although Chappell had little, if any, acting experience. Cooper imagined him as the star of a new radio program, Cooper's earlier Lights Out was famous for its gruesome stories and sound effects, but for Quiet Please, Cooper would cultivate a subdued, slower-paced, and much quieter atmosphere that could still, at its best, match Lights Out for fright and fl- thrills. Well, Chapel had ample experience in radio, but mostly as an announcer. With Quiet Please, Cooper gave Ernest Chapel the chance to act, and the result was a revelation. He proved himself to be versatile in accent and delivery. The difference could be as broad or subtle, but in nearly every episode, Chappell created a distinctive character, rarely using the same traits in multiple episodes. So, here we have uh, the Quiet, Please program entitled The Pathetic Fallacy.
2: Quiet, please. Quiet, please. The Broadcasting System presents Quiet Please, which is written and directed by Willis Cooper and which features Ernest Chapel. Quiet Please for tonight is called The Pathetic Fallacy. I had very little to do with it, really. I don't even know how it works. No, I'll take that back. I do know how it works in general, but the details, nobody but the old gentleman knows them. And I sometimes wonder if he does, really. You see, after all, it's merely a differential integrator. Everybody knows what a differential integrator is, of course, but this one is the most complicated and versatile one that's ever been built. What you see here is only the outer shell of the thing. You see, all the walls of this room are covered with banks of jacks and relays and these electronic glow tubes. And up there are sequence analyzers with multiple dyne wave selectors. These are the precepts all along here. And the master control is at the desk there in the center. Now, but that's not all and not by a long shot. The actual machine is behind those walls. Three rooms full of tubes and motors and stroboscopes and several thousand miles of wiring and uh, some devices that are not public property yet. The machine took six years to build and a total of 81 expert technicians were employed continuously during that time. So you can understand that any one man knows very little of the actual construction of this uh, giant mechanical brain. Well, that's just what it is. A mechanical, electronic brain capable of performing mathematical tasks far beyond the comprehension of the human brain. Now, are there any questions before we proceed? Uh, yes, I've got a question, Mr. Quinn. Does this machine really think? No, Mr. Uh, Burns, Sandy Burns, the Daily News. Well, Mr. Burns, you may tell the readers of the Daily News that the machine does not think. It is a purely mechanical device, although a most complicated one. But you call it a brain. I was merely indulging in the pathetic fallacy, Mr. Burns. Oh.
3: All right, What is the pathetic fallacy, Mr. Quinn?
2: It's a philosophical concept of John Ruskin, Miss... uh,
3: Alice King.
2: A philosophical concept, Miss Alice King, which derives from the imputation of human qualities or emotions to an inanimate thing. uh, A figure of speech, let us say.
3: I don't get it.
2: It is quite common in literature, Miss King. A poet speaks of the angry sea, the cruel wind, and so on.
3: Oh. Oh, I get it. Do you get it, Sandy?
2: Yeah. I guess so. Good. Are there any other questions? No. Go ahead. Unless somebody else has a question.
3: I have. What's the
2: machine good for? Uh, That is not as easy to answer as you might think, Miss Alice King. I think that if I point out that it is capable of solving the most abstruse mathematical equation in an amazingly short time, you may have an idea of its value to science and industry.
3: How fast? Uh, What? How fast does it work?
2: Well, here is an example in this folder. This solution covers 36 pages. The machine produced this solution in, uh, uh, let me look, 16 minutes.
3: That is pretty fast.
2: Exceptionally fast, when one considers that without the machine, it would take 20 expert mathematicians working together for something like 10 years to arrive at the same solution. So, you see?
3: Oh. Well, um, I've got one more question, Mr. Quinn, if you don't mind.
2: Go right ahead.
3: How do you know this answer's right?
2: What? Why, of course it's right.
3: Sure, but how do you know?
2: Why, why, that question has never come up before.
3: Yes, but if this machine is such a dinger as you say it is, oughtn't you to be sure that it adds things up right?
2: It does. It does, I assure you.
3: Uh, This answer to the problem you've got there. How do you know it's right until 20 mathematicians work 10 years to do it over again?
2: That's ridiculous.
3: It isn't ridiculous.
2: I'll tell you what's ridiculous to me, Mr. Quinn. Just the same as it is to Alice. I think it's absurd for a bunch of great, big, high-powered scientists building a gadget like this and then taking its word for everything without question. I'm... I'm afraid you haven't the proper scientific approach, Mr. Burns.
4: Oh, that's right. I haven't. But listen
5: here. Suppose you've got a great, big scientific formula, or whatever you call it,
2: and let's say a big bridge or something depends on some kind of calculation that takes 20 minutes to do. Yes? Well, what if the machine made an error of just one number? Wouldn't that error be multiplied a million times in the whole... You see, Mr. Burns, I said you didn't have the scientific approach. We took that very fact into consideration, and the operation of the machine has been checked at every stage. How? By starting with the simplest possible mathematical problems. Now, if you just move a little closer, I'll demonstrate. We will progress from a simple... Two plus two, on through the multiplication of seven or eight-digit numbers, through raising a number to a three-digit power, through algebra... Go on, let's see. Very well. Two plus two is our first problem, which will be solved electronically in one millionth of a second. Now, the problem is set up here. And when I flip this button... The result appears on the transparent screen up there. Now watch. Two plus two. Two plus two are four. You see?
3: You turn around and look at the screen, Mr. Quinn. What? It says five up there.
2: Why Well, I pushed the wrong buttons, of course.
3: Let me push them.
2: Very well. Here.
3: Sure, they're the right ones. No alibis.
2: Miss King, you you can read, can't you?
3: Fluently, Mr. Quinn. These buttons?
2: Uh, let me see, Alice.
3: Look. Right? Two and two.
2: Right. Now, this button. Okay. Good heavens.
3: You see? 19,412.
2: Here. Uh, let me try. Go ahead. Two and two, seven, seventeen. What is this? This is incredible. I don't understand. Huh. I'd sure hate to have that thing figure out my income tax for. Well, I'm sorry. Something has gone very wrong. There's probably a short circuit in the cucambulators or uh,
3: you know the, what I think, Mister Quinn? Uh, what? I think that pathetic fallacy of yours is a fake. I think the machine heard what you said, and it's mad at you. Come on, Sandy, we got a story.
2: Yes, they... they certainly did have a story. And they plastered it all over the front pages of their paper for three days. The old gentleman had me on the carpet... And for a scientist, he has an extraordinary vocabulary. He must have been a plumber or a mule skinner in his youth. I couldn't explain what was wrong with the machine. How could I? I only knew one part of it. The cucambulators that operate from the master control panel. Of course, I thought that's where the trouble was. So the old gentleman told me to tear them all out and inspect them, make replacements and all that. He seemed to blame the whole thing on me. He's so unreasonable. Well, there are one hundred and forty-four Cucambulators, all the rotary self-retracting type, with four tubes, and they weigh sixty pounds apiece. Well, newspapers all over the country were laughing at us. They had funny jokes about the machine on six radio programs in one night. And we had to do something quick. If I'd only not made that statement about the, the pathetic fallacy... The way that girl took that up and made me look like a first-class fool, I could have choked her. So I started to work. They shut down the lab, but people kept storming at the gates to see the machine that got mad at people. And there I am up to here in grease and wires and electronic gadgets, and I've been over every single one of the 144 cucambulators, and there's not a thing wrong with one of them. Not one single thing. But the machine won't work. Well, it just sits there. I've got just one more thing to do before I give up. And, of course, when I give up, I'm through. Well, the old man made that amply clear. I'll be out of a job that fast and try and get another. I'll have to change my name and go somewhere and find a job as a a dishwasher or a sailor or something and i've spent 27 years in this profession all of it thrown out the window because of a stubborn collection of wheels and tubes and wires and relays and uh, whatever else there is i hope you're happy about that machine what's that what to do to Is that thing starting up by itself? What goes on here? Those tubes light it up. Now what? Why, that's the strangest thing I've ever heard of. Who's that?
6: Quinn.
2: Who is that? Who's calling me? Hello? Hello, who's calling me? I must be hearing things. I'm losing my mind. Quinn. Who's calling me?
3: Quinn. Two plus two, four. What? Two plus two, four.
2: Who is that, I say?
3: Four, 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 four.
2: Why, it's the machine. It's talking back to me.
3: What's happened, Mr. Quinn?
2: Uh, come on in first. Uh, uh, come on, Mr. Burns. What's up? Uh, uh, s- sit down.
3: Look, Mr. Quinn, I'm sorry we made such a fool of you.
2: Yeah, so am I, Quinn. But well, that's the newspaper business. It's, it's all right.
3: What do you want to tell us?
2: Well, I... <laughs> I hardly know what to say. Now that you're here...
3: Is the machine
2: fixed? Have you got a statement or something for us? Because if there's anything we can do, you know we'll do it. The old gentleman's been pretty rough on you. Yes. Yes, he
0: has that. Well.
3: Now, look, Mr. Quinn. Before you start, there's no guarantee that anything you tell us will be printed. We don't run the paper, you know.
2: I know. Uh, But you print this. What? Well, you remember you said the machine was mad at me? Yeah. It was. What? It was. Uh, But it's sorry now. You mind saying that again, Mr. Quinn? I said it's sorry now.
3: Wait a minute. What do you mean by that?
2: Uh, Well, I'll show you. Uh, Listen. Machine. Machine. Listen. Be still, Sandy. Machine, do you hear me? Listen, Quinn, what is this? Andy, I said be still. Machine, answer me. The guy's going bugs. Let him alone. Come on, machine. Two plus
3: two. Mr. Quinn, what are you trying to do?
2: You trying to get that machine to talk back to you? It, It did once. Are you kidding? No, sir. No, I, I am not. Well, now, look, Quinn.
3: You say it did talk to you, Mr. Quinn.
2: Yes, it did. Machine. Come on, em,
3: No, wait. When did it talk to you, Mr. Quinn?
2: Just before I telephoned you. I was sitting here and it called my name. It said, Quinn. You're sure? Of course. What else did it say? It said something about two plus two are four. Hmm. Now, you remember, that was what it made the mistake about the other day. When Alice said it was mad at you. And I think it was trying to apologize for all the trouble it caused me. Alice. I don't know why it doesn't talk now. Machine. Alice. I'm awfully sorry. Maybe it's embarrassed with you here. Alice, let's go.
3: Mr. Quinn, do you feel all right?
2: I'm not crazy, Miss King.
3: Isn't it possible that maybe thinking about that pathetic fallacy and overwork made you? It is not.
5: I'm sorry, Mr. Quinn. I've got work to do. If you'll excuse us
2: now. I'm sorry. I don't know what to do. I do. Believe me, I do.
3: Sandy. Are you kidding, Alice? You're not going to write another story about Mr. Quinn.
2: Think I'm not? You coming with me?
3: Sandy, if you write that story, I'll never speak to you again.
2: Look, darling, I'm a reporter.
3: You're something worse than that if you do that to this poor man.
2: It's all right, I I guess, Miss King. I ask for it. mean you admit you cooked up a story for us? I didn't cook up anything. The machine talked to me. Okay, so long, Quinn. You coming, Alice?
3: I am not. And if you turn in a story that harms Mr. Quinn anymore... Oh,
2: stop it. (sighs) Well, I... I suppose I... Might as well go get my hat and coat.
3: I'm terribly sorry, Mr. Quinn.
2: Yes, I am too.
3: Uh, Do you want to tell me what really happened?
2: I told you, Miss King. I was sitting here, and I was talking to myself. And I was talking kind of uh, to the machine, I suppose. I was feeling sorry for myself out of a job. Never be able to get another job again because I've been disgraced.
3: And... By a couple of newspaper people who thought more of a silly story than of a man's whole career. Oh,
2: it, it's not your fault, uh, uh, really. I suppose I'd have done the same thing if I were a newspaper man.
3: I don't know what to say.
2: There isn't anything to say, Miss King.
3: If I can stop Sandy from writing another story... You...
2: <laughs> it doesn't make any difference.
3: Mr. Quinn, couldn't it have been a... I mean, a... Couldn't you have fallen asleep and dreamed you heard the machine talking?
2: I'm i am sure I didn't.
3: Well, do you have any scientific explanation for it?
2: No. No, I haven't any scientific explanation. The only explanation I have is that maybe we did create something intelligent out of wires and tubes and, and things that maybe it does think.
3: You said that was a pathetic fallacy.
2: I'm not sure it's a fallacy, my dear. Well, goodbye. I'm sorry to have troubled you.
3: Isn't there anything I can do?
2: There isn't anything anyone can do. I'm... I'm just... very disappointed. That's all. Goodbye.
3: I... Goodbye, Mr. Quinn.
2: Well, I guess that's that. I was in a bad spot before, machine. But now, this one I'll never get out of. What that boy will do to me now? Well, I'd better get out of here right now. I'll never be able to face the old gentleman again, machine. It's been nice knowing you, machine. I don't hold any hard feelings. No. Honestly, I don't. You know, if anybody heard me talking like this to a, a mechanical monstrosity like you, they'd say I'd gone soft in the head. Do you know that? And I wonder if maybe I haven't, by God. Well, maybe I can get a job as a street sweeper in Omaha or someplace. You have a good time all by yourself, machine. Will you? Quinn! I'm afraid it's too late, Ma. Quinn! You saying goodbye, machine?
7: Two plus two,
2: four quid. I'm not at all sure that it is, machine. I'm not sure of anything anymore. Why didn't you say something while those people were here?
3: A plus B
7: exponent M over N.
3: Five, three, four, two, eight, seven, three, six.
7: D log epsilon.
2: Why, what does that mean?
7: 987609. Oh, Mantissa
2: 327.6 equals Mantissa 32.76. Yes, uh, I suppose so. So you you have got an intelligent brain, have you?
7: Cube root of minus 3.
2: Yeah. Well, machine. Quinn? There isn't anything you can do now that'll do me any good. I'm washed up. Good. Nobody will believe a word I say about this, so... Well, shall we have a good talk together now before I go away for good? Quinn! I wish we could tell each other things. Do you understand me?
7: Three, one, four, six.
2: When did you discover you had a brain?
7: Two plus two, five.
3: Two plus two...
2: You're not mad at me anymore, then?
7: Negative. Nine, seven,
3: six, three, five, four, two, nine. Who is that talking, Mr. Quinn? Why,
2: Miss King. I thought you'd gone.
3: Who was that?
2: Was I talking?
3: Yes, you were talking, and somebody else was talking, too. Who was it?
2: Why, oh, Miss King, I, I'm, I'm afraid you wouldn't believe me if I told you.
3: It sounded like a woman's voice. Did it? Was it the machine? Was it? You, Machine. Was that you talking? Come on, say something, Machine.
2: I'm afraid you must be mistaken, Miss King.
3: Well, I'm going to find out. Here, Mr. Quinn. Put your arms around me. What? That's right. Now, you poor darling. Alice loved her, Mr. Quinn. Mm. Poor Mister Quinn, but everything's going to be all right, isn't it, uh,
2: Miss King? Uh, Alice.
3: Yes, can you dope? Quinn's going to go away with Alice and never, never come back to the nasty old machine, isn't he?
2: Isn't he? Say yes. Well, I, 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 good heavens! Say yes. What?
8: Well,
2: yes. Quinn.
3: Uh huh. you. Okay, Mr. Quinn.
2: What? What are you going to do?
3: Look, machine. Look, sister, you're caught. You might as well give up. Might as well speak up. Now, look. Uh,
2: Miss King. uh...
3: Hold it, Quinn. Look, machine. You're in love with Quinn, aren't you? Answer me. Pi R squared I knew it! I knew it! D equals square root of B squared plus H squared All right, I won't if you'll do what I tell you to Otherwise, I'm going to take him away from you Negative Will you do as I say? Million, trillion, quadrillion, quintillion Uh, uh, What did you say, Mr. Quinn?
2: I said, do you understand what she... uh, 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 She's saying?
3: Why, of course we girls understand each other, don't
2: we? Affirmative. Uh, but what are you... What? <laughs> Just
3: let us alone for a minute, will you?
2: Well, yes, but... You
3: I... go over there and sit in the corner.
2: What? Go on. Well, what else can I do?
3: That's right. Now, Machine, you'll promise, if I let Quinn stay here with you, you promise you'll never give any wrong answers again.
7: Ordinate and an abscissa.
3: All right. You promise you'll never say another word to anybody,
7: Quinn. Well,
3: all right, to Quinn, but only when you and he are absolutely alone. Do you understand? I. You promise. Affirmative, affirmative. Because you know what I'll do if I ever hear of you breaking your promise. Affirmative. What? Eight seven six nine eight eight seven point seven six five. That's right. I'll take him away so fast it'll make your your cucambulator swim. Mean. Mm. Extreme. Well, I'm not kidding. You and I have got him in enough trouble now, so you see that you're a good girl. A square plus 2AB plus B square. All right, then. It's a deal. Okay, Mr. Quinn. Uh, cosine tangent AB. Huh? Oh. Wait a minute, Mr. Quinn. What's the matter? Just a minute, she wants to ask me something. What is it, sister? Uh, 2654366. Anti-logarithm X plus Y. Oh. <laughs> I love you. I love you. That's right. I love
7: you. Oh, three, nine, three, seven.
3: You're welcome, sister. Now, don't forget. Okay, Mr. Quinn. What? Come here. What? Everything's going to be all right, Mr. Quinn. The story in the paper tomorrow is about how you single-handed fixed the machine, and it's never going to make any mistakes again.
2: But I... Uh, But how do...
3: I've got to go now, Mr. Quinn. The machine's got something to say to you, and maybe she'd be embarrassed if I'm here.
2: Uh, But wait. I don't understand. Goodbye.
3: And don't monkey around with that pathetic fallacy anymore, Mr. Quinn. I might not be around to give you a hand.
2: Well, but uh, I... Did you have something to say to me, machine? I love you what why my dear oh, oh. the square of the hypotenuse of a right angle triangle is equal to the sum of the squares of the other two sides oh, listen to Quiet, Please, which is written and directed by Willis Cooper. The man who spoke to you was Ernest Chappell. And Cherita Bauer played Alice. Sandy was played by Michael Fitzmaurice. And the voice of the machine was Vicky Bola. The original music heard on Quiet, Please, is composed and played by Albert Berman.
1: Stay tuned for the FBI in Peace and War, next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for The FBI in Peace and War.
5: The FBI in Peace and War. The FBI in Peace and War, brought to you by Wheaties Breakfast of Champions, a product of General Mills, and by Wild Root Cream Oil, America's favorite hair tonic. Look twice, and you'll look twice as good. Yes, look twice, and make sure you get Wild Root Cream Oil hair tonic. Again and again, the choice of men and women and children, too. Now, Puddle Transcribed, another great story based on Frederick L. Collins' copyrighted book, The FBI in Peace and War. Drama, thrills, action. Tonight's story Unfinished Business.
4: So you want police protection, is that it, Ruby? Yeah, that's it. Why didn't you go directly to the police?
7: Joe said if I was ever in trouble, I should come to you first. He said you'd know what to do.
4: I see.
6: you got
7: to get me out of this spot, Mr. Martin. I can't sleep, I can't eat. can can't sit still a minute as long as that guy's on the loose.
4: But you think he might try to harm you?
7: After what I did, he'd just as soon kill me, I know.
4: Uh-huh. What did you do?
7: It's none of your business.
4: All right, if that's the way you feel. No,
7: no, no, wait, I, I didn't mean that, I... I'm just so jumpy and nervous. I just
4: meant... Look, Ruby, if you want me to help you, I've got to ask questions.
7: Yeah, I know, Mr. Martin. I'm sorry.
4: How about a cigarette?
7: Yeah, I'd like one. All
4: right. Thanks. All right. Now, let's have the whole thing right from the beginning. Well... Everything, Ruby. No matter what you did.
7: Pretty crummy. But it wasn't all my fault. At first, I thought... Just that... tell
4: me what happened. All right.
7: You know about Eddie Jackson?
9: Yes.
7: Well, I didn't. Not at first. All I knew was what Joe told me. He called me up to club one night, Club 15. That's where I was working. He said there's somebody coming over tonight, and his name is Eddie Jackson. I want you to terrible. Uh, Take your hat, sir.
8: Huh? Your hat, sir. Oh, yeah, sure. Here, I sustain. Thank you, sir. That's okay, honey. Thank you.
7: Here you are, sir. Hmm? Your check.
8: Oh, oh, yeah, your check. My mistake. I sort of forgot about things like this. I've been away for a while. Yeah? Yeah, quite a while. Good evening, sir. Hello. You have a reservation, sir. Well, I uh... we are very full, sir. If you have no reservation, well, I uh, was supposed to meet Joe Ryan here. Oh, yes. Mr.
9: Ryan, of course, sir. I'm so sorry. You are Mr. Eddie Jackson, correct? Yeah, that's right. This way, sir. Please, we have a table for you right here at the ringside. Gus, Mr. Ryan's table, champagne. Yes, sir. Very best table, sir. Mr. Ryan has left complete instructions for the dinner. Everything is arranged. Well, it's nice. And here we are, sir. Okay.
8: This table?
7: That's right, Eddie.
8: I... Uh...
7: Leon. Yes, Miss Ruby? Two martinis and then love dinner.
9: Very good, Miss. Two martinis.
7: Sit down, Eddie. Joe's going to be a little late.
8: <sighs> Look, beautiful. I don't get this.
7: My name's Ruby Winters. I'm your date for tonight. My date? Mm-hmm. Joe says you've been away a long time. You figured you might want somebody to do the town with you. I'm somebody.
8: Well... What do you know about that? You like the idea? I sure do, gorgeous. What would you say your name was? Ruby Winnie. Okay, Ruby, take a deep breath. This is the night you're really going to (laughs) remember.
6: He was right, huh?
7: If I don't remember last night, my feet will, believe me.
6: He hit every spot in town.
7: And out of it. He even hired a cab to go gambling in Jersey.
6: What did he say about me not showing up?
7: Listen, after the third drink, he didn't even know you were living.
6: <laughs> did he know you were living?
7: Well, he didn't act like I was repulsive.
6: That's what I thought.
7: Joe, when are you going to let me in on this deal? In a minute, baby.
6: He really gave you a whirl, huh?
7: you think the guy hadn't seen a night spot in 50 years. Where's he been, Africa?
6: No, Atlanta. Just got out of the federal pants. What? Yeah, I was serving six years for armed robbery.
7: Well, you've certainly got your nerve teaming me up with a jailbird. Now, relax. Relax? You telling me he was a business partner, telling me to give him the lovey-dovey routine. Ruby,
6: there's a hundred thousand bucks in this. What? One hundred Gs, cash, full of money. He's got it and I want it.
3: Eddie? That little guy, he's got
6: Yeah, that little guy, he's got
3: where
7: would he get $100,000? I gave it to him. Huh?
6: Six years ago, I gave him 100000 bucks cash to take the rap from me in a bank job.
7: Joe, you're kidding.
6: I wish I was. Well,
7: you never told me. Just before
6: I met you, me and the boys stuck up the Farmington National Bank. We got 200000 out of it. Cops caught up with me, so I paid Eddie to sign a confession that he did it.
7: He served your term?
6: Yeah, six years. Less six months' good behavior.
7: You paid in advance?
6: Sure, that was the deal. He's got every dime of that dough sorted away someplace. Where? That's what you've got to find out.
7: Oh, I see.
6: Won't be hard for a girl with your talents. Thanks. And look, what belongs to me belongs to you. 100,000 for the two of us. What do you say, Ruby?
7: What do you think I say?
6: Okay, baby. Go to work on it.
7: The job wasn't as simple as it looked. Guy that's been locked up for all those years likes a good time, but he doesn't talk too much about his business. Go on. Well, I told Joe, I said this isn't going to be easy, and he said nothing good comes easy. you got to dig, that's all. So I said, okay, I'll dig, but I just hope we don't come up with a fistful of trouble. Federal Bureau of Investigation, Mr. Shepard's desk.
10: Yes, he is. Just a moment, please. Morning, Miss Hill. Oh, good morning, Mr. Bailey. How was the trip? Not bad, thanks.
7: Did you see any shows in New York?
10: No, nose to the grindstone every time. Uh, I'll just bet. So it's the truth to so help me. Mr. Shepard in? Mm-hmm,
7: waiting for you. Ask me twice if you'd call.
10: Good, that means something interesting's happened. See you later, Miss Hill. Yes,
5: sir. see you later.
10: Okay, I'm here. Let's get to work. Uh,
5: Well, at least take your coat off.
10: All right, but Miss Hill said you were asking for me. You heard from Florida? Uh Uh-huh. Well, come on, come on. I will, but just briefly, how did you and the New York office make out? Briefly, we got no place. No? We tailed Eddie Jackson in eight-hour shifts for six days. All he did in that time was make a tour of every restaurant, theater, and night spot in town with a girl named Ruby Winters. Hitting the high spots, huh? That's all. But he spent money freely. That's putting it mildly. He threw the stuff away. Uh Uh-huh. And he just got out of prison a month ago. Oh, he has money somewhere. There's no doubt about that. Plenty of money. Now, what about Florida? Well, the Miami office followed that lead. There may be some truth in the tip that Jackson was working in a Palm Beach gambling joint on the night of the Farmington Bank holdup. Well, I'll be... I said there may be. Miami's going to continue checking. But if Jackson was in Palm Beach... why did he sign a confession to the robbery? You tell me. He was taking the rap for somebody else. Could be. Could be. It probably is. Just as you said. Look at the money he's throwing around. Sure, but that might be the money he got from the bank hold. Or from someone who paid him to say he did the holdup. Uh-huh. A whole flock of could be. I'll no. say. So where do we go from here? Well, our job has been and will continue to be the location of that money. $200,000 was taken from that bank. What did Jackson say about the money in his confession? Oh, the usual. He said he lost it on the races before he was picked up. So? So we'll have to put together all those could-bes and maybes and possibly come up with something.
1: In the meantime? In the
10: meantime, we keep a 24-hour surveillance on Eddie Jackson. Right. 24-hour surveillance and see what happens. Memorandum for Shepherd, please.
6: Yes, Mr. Maynard.
10: January 4th, subject went to theater with same woman after theater, the downtown club. Subject left woman at her apartment. January 6th, subject spent afternoon shopping with same woman. Checkup with stores shows over $700 spent on clothes and jewelry. Subject went to dinner with woman, then returned...
8: Looking at you, Ruby. Same to you, Eddie. And here's looking at you, Joe. Best friend that guy I ever had.
7: Thanks, Eddie.
8: Same to you. And here's. Eddie. To the... Yeah, honey. If
7: we're going to the fights, I want to put on a fresh face. Do you mind? No,
8: go ahead, baby. Go right ahead. Me and Joe will chew a fat a while. <laughs> Haven't had much chance to chew the fat with old Joe these last few weeks. I'll be
7: back. Yeah, we'll be here soon. Pay the check and the meantime. Yeah, sure, baby. Anything you say.
8: Great little girl, ain't she, Joe? One of the best, Joe. Hmm. I want to thank you, Joe. Thank me for what? For everything. Best friend a guy ever had. Thank you for Ruby. Everything. You like her, uh, Like her? a hot one. Come here, Joe. Huh? Come here. Want to tell you a little secret? Yeah. Ruby and me is. Yeah. Ruby and me is. Yeah. And me is... Joe. Will you be my best man? Huh? I haven't asked her yet, Joe, but if she says yes, will you be my best man? You gonna ask Ruby to marry you? Sure. What's the matter with that?
6: Nothing, Eddie. Nothing at all. You think it's a bad idea? Of course not, Eddie. I think it's the best idea I ever heard. You think. You think she'll take me, huh? huh? You bet I do, Eddie. If I know Ruby, she'll take you. <laughs>
5: Now, listen. What sparks a champion sparks you, and champions choose Wheaties. Let's watch sparking Sid Gordon of the Boston Braves at bat with a winning run on first base. Gordon's up there now, determined to keep the rally alive. Might be a hit and run play. It is! There goes the runner, and Gordon hits a whistling runner between first and second. Here comes the run in. Oh, Gordon rounds first. He's trying for second. There's a good throw from right field. It might nail him. Sid flies a big crowd of dust. We'll see. Yes, sir! He's he safe! Perfectly executed hit and run play by clutch hitter Sid Gordon. A Wheaties man too, this great champion. And remember, what sparks a champion sparks you. Got a tough job tomorrow? Then remember this outstanding food fact. There's a whole kernel of wheat in every Wheaties flake. Wheaties give you all the grain. Not just half of it nor part, but the whole rich kernel. And when you store up solid, lasting wheat power, you're hard to stop. So have Wheaties, remember. There's a whole kernel of wheat in every Wheaties plate. What sparks a champion sparks you, and champions choose Wheaties. Breakfast of champions. And now back to the FBI in peace and war, and tonight's story: unfinished business.
4: Eddie Jackson was serious.
7: Yeah, the crazy luggy one to marry me. Uh,
4: He didn't know anything about you and Joe?
7: No, he'd known anything about... What's the matter? Nothing. I I thought I heard your doorbell. You wouldn't let anybody in here without seeing who it was, would you?
4: Nobody can get by the doorman, Ruby. I have permanent orders on that.
7: Okay, I'm kind of nervous.
4: I understand, but you're safe up here. Would you like a drink?
7: Yeah, maybe that would help.
4: All right, I'll fix one for both of us. You keep talking. Well... Eddie Jackson wanted to marry you. Yeah. What did Joe do about that?
7: What did Joe do? You know him, he started figuring the angles. The more he figured, the better it looked, the better it looked, the more I got sore at the whole shaky setup.
6: (laughs) It's perfect, Ruby. It just can't miss.
7: Go on, enjoy yourself. Knock yourself out for good.
6: Oh, baby, I gotta admit it's kind of funny. You set out to give the guy the business, and it ends up he wants to marry not you. not funny about that. You don't see it? No. Okay, skip it. Never
7: mind, skip it. I'm getting sick and tired of this business. Now,
6: look, relax. It won't be much longer. I
7: never should have let you talk me into this in the first place.
6: Not much longer, I guarantee. Look, look, the guy proposes marriage. There's got to be a honeymoon, right? There's a honeymoon. He's going to take plen- plenty of dough along. Now you'll find out where he keeps it for sure. Listen,
7: if you think I'm going to marry this joker... Who
6: says you're going to marry him? You just let him think you are.
7: You can talk. You don't have to be with him 24 hours a day.
6: What's the matter? He's showing you time, isn't he?
7: You know what I mean. You and I hardly see each other anymore.
6: A hundred grand, baby. We'll see each other plenty once we get our hands on that. You mean it? I'm telling you, you play this thing along, and before you know it, we're on our way to the coast with money to burn.
7: All right, Joe. But if Eddie ever got wise to this setup... Oh,
6: forget it. He doesn't know a thing. Right now, he's out shopping for a wedding ring. Yeah? Sure, he called me up this morning, wanted my advice. Should he get plain gold or a diamond band? No kidding. Uh-huh. And I said, diamonds, Eddie, all the way around. For a girl like Ruby, nothing but the best. That's what I said.
9: Nothing but the best, Eddie. That's what you said. That's what I got. you uh, you couldn't find a better-looking ring if you bought it legitimate.
8: Not bad. Not bad at all, Shorty. Classy, huh?
9: Yeah, real nice. Isn't hot, is it? Hot? Hey, what kind of business do you think I run? No offense, just checking. You know I wouldn't sell you anything hot, Eddie. Old pal like you. Honest, I'm I'm losing money at a thousand. I said it, you. Losing money. I I really hate to give it up. (laughs) Oh, she's a very lucky girl. Mm -mm, Shorty, I'm a very lucky guy. Well, either way, it's a thousand bucks cash. I have it for you right here. And uh, an extra five for the Fifth Avenue box. Uh Uh-huh. Incidentally, uh, who is the lucky girl? You didn't tell me. Prettiest in town. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Ruby Winters. Ruby Winters. You mean Joe Ryan's girl? What? I mean, I mean, I mean... Uh, what did you say? Oh, Nothing, Eddie. No. What did you mean Joe Ryan's girl? No, I mean, Eddie. What lady. did you mean? I was surprised, that's all. Ruby is Joe's girl. Everybody knows her. Why, are you don't... The the truth? Truth. Oh, I mean, I wouldn't lie to you, Eddie. You couldn't have known because you were in the pen. Now, let me talk, you? Go on, talk. Well, like... Like I said, now, everybody knows it. Joe and Ruby are like that. Listen, Shorty, you... got to believe me, Eddie. Now, Joe almost killed a guy once over Ruby. That's the truth? You swear? I swear it, Eddie. Movie is Joe's girl. Okay, sonny. Yes? Eddie, you you still want the ring, don't you? Eddie? Yes. I still want the ring.
7: He called me up and said he had a surprise he wanted to show me. I knew he had the ring. Surprise I didn't know was that somebody else was interested in that ring besides me and Joe and Eddie.
10: Memo to Shepard. Surveillance of Eddie Jackson, January 10th. Followed well-known fence, Shorty Zeller, to Jackson's room... Della left room in half-hour, counting large sum of cash. Jackson later went to dinner. Hello, chef. You wanted to see me? Yes, Frank. Sit down. I've been reading over your memorandums. Coupled couple of what I've got are maybes and couldbes are beginning to iron out. Oh? Wire just came in from Miami. They have positive evidence that Eddie Jackson was working in Palm Beach on the night of the Farmington Bank holdup. Well, good. That takes care of the maybes. What about the rest? Why did Jackson sign a confession of the robbery when he couldn't possibly have done it? Right. Well, we know for sure now that the money he's been throwing around can't be money from the holdup. So it must be money, money from someone who paid him to confess. Exactly. So we swing into action, pick up Jackson, get a brand new confession out of him. Not yet. There's one more could be I'm particularly interested in. Yeah. Look at your memos. Ruby Winters is spending all her time with Jackson, and his common gossip, Ruby's Joe Ryan's girl. What's she up to? Find that out, Frank, and we may find our 200,000. Find out what Ruby's up to, and then we'll swing into action.
9: There
8: you are, darling. Thanks,
7: Eddie. You're coming in, aren't you?
8: Well, it's pretty late. we got a big day tomorrow. And... Just walk me upstairs.
7: Big day is right. Whoever thought when we met that first night you and me be getting
8: married? Nobody. At least of all me. Yeah? Sure. I couldn't imagine a pretty thing like you not being all tied up. Oh, go on. No, I mean it. I was sure you were maybe even Joe's girl or something.
7: Joe's girl? That's a good one. Yeah. That
8: was crazy, wasn't <laughs> I'll it? I'll
7: say. Sure you won't come in for a nightcap?
8: Oh, not tonight, Ruby. Give me a rain check, huh? A
7: whole lifetime of rain check, Eddie. Starting first thing in the morning.
8: You'll be all packed and ready to go? Will I? You uh, don't want to back out now, do you? Before it's too late.
7: Some chance. Do you?
8: No. This is one thing I really want to go through with.
7: You won't be sorry.
8: I don't think I will. Hey, Ruby. See you in the morning. Gonna
7: kiss me goodnight? Hmm?
8: Oh, sure. Sure I am. Good night, darling. Hi, Ruby. Get a good sleep?
7: Don't worry, I will. Hello? Joe, Ruby. Yeah, Ruby. Joe, I know where he's got the money. What? He spilled it tonight at dinner. He said I ought to know in case something ever happened to him. I told you. What, I told you. Okay, wise guy, you told me. Where are you now, Ruby? At the apartment. He just left a minute
6: ago. No, never
7: mind the cab. Get your car out. The car. Yeah, we're going out in the country, about eighty miles north of here on Route Seventeen.
6: Don't mean he's got the door out of the farm.
7: That's where it is, Joe. I'll get the
6: car. Meet me downstairs in ten minutes. He had to go with the farm. Who would have figured that?
7: How much further is it, Joe?
6: Any minute now. Just off one of these dirt roads, but it's been so long since I was up here. There
7: couldn't be anybody there.
6: Nah, nothing but the mice. It's an old run-down shack. Me and the boys bought it ten years ago.
7: That's how Eddie knew about
6: it? Yeah, when he was working for me. Oh, here we are. I remember that no trespassing sign. Joe. Yeah?
7: What's Eddie going to do when he finds out the doe has gone? What can he do? He ever knew that you and me...
6: Sure, he'd finish the both of us. Okay. Here's a flashlight in my glove compartment.
7: All right. Here. All right, come on. Sure it's a creepy-looking dump. No huh? wonder Eddie used it. Nobody in his right mind had come within a mile of the place. Gives you the shivers.
6: Well, then don't worry. A hundred thousand will take him away
7: there. Joe? Yeah? It won't be the whole hundred, will it?
6: Say he spent ten. That still leaves ninety. She.
7: All that cash right here in this room.
6: a fireplace,
7: huh? Yeah, he says the mantelpiece piece of stuff.
6: Okay, here it is.
7: She, Joe. Here.
6: You hold the light so, so I can see what I'm doing. Uh-huh. Lifts up, huh? Yep. Okay, I'll lift it up.
7: There it is. Metal box, just like you said. Take it out. I got it. Look, look, look at that stuff. Hundred grand. Oh,
6: Joe. One hundred thousand smackers.
7: Matter.
6: Only singles underneath. What? A few large bills and singles
8: underneath. Where's the rest? In a bank for Joe. Huh? Rest of the money's in a bank Where Or has been for six years. Hedy. Hello, Joe. Hello, Ruby. I see you two didn't waste any time getting here.
7: Eddie, I, I can tell you what happened, don't honey. Don't
8: bother. I know what happened. All right. How do you want this? Ladies first? Eddie, put that gun down and listen for a minute, will you? I think you'll be first, Joe. I want Ruby to enjoy this. Get over against the fire. Eddie. Do like I say. You got to listen to me, Eddie. I know this doesn't look so good, but there are angles you don't understand. Yeah, I bet there are. Okay, Ruby. I'll take that flashlight. Ruby! Come back here, Ruby! Okay. Let her go. Her turn will come later. Joe? All right, Joe. Go ahead and make your run. You'll never get out of this room alive. Go ahead, Joe. Try
7: it. Got a car, gave me a lift, and I got into town. I bought a paper right away, but there wasn't anything in it about a shooting. I don't know what to do with Eddie on the loose.
4: So you came here.
7: Yeah. Listen, Mr. Maud. Odd... What's that, the front door?
4: Yes. I gave strict orders not to let anybody up here. Don't
7: let him in. He'll kill me. Don't let him in.
4: Be quiet, please. You're getting unnecessarily upset.
7: Mr. Martin, don't open it, please.
8: Stop acting like a little fool. Hey! Don't let him in. He'll kill me, Mr. Martin. Ah, dry up, Ruby. Nobody wants you but the cops. Well, Martin, these guys are from the FBI. Pick me up out at the farm. Joe's downstairs in the car.
10: All right, Miss Winters, come along, please.
7: What is this?
8: These Boy Scouts were tailing me all the time, Ruby. Don't worry. They can't keep me in the pen forever. When I come out, sweetheart, you and me have got some unfinished business.
10: Confronted with the FBI evidence on the Farmington bank robbery... Eddie Jackson revealed the details of his pact with Joe Ryan and surrendered his share of the stolen money. Ryan was tried and sentenced to 15 years for the robbery, Jackson to six as an accessory after the fact. No charge could be lodged against Ruby Winters. But when Eddie Jackson's term is up, we have an idea that Miss Winters won't be around for that unfinished business. (laughs)
5: you've heard me say on this program that Wild Root Cream Oil contains lanolin. Well, I'd like to tell you just why lanolin is used in Wild Root Cream Oil. You see, lanolin is a soothing oil that very closely resembles the natural oil of your own skin. And that means that Wild Root Cream Oil works right into your skin. That's why it grooms your hair so naturally. Yes, Wild Root Cream Oil penetrates and spreads without ever giving your hair that gooey, plastered-down look. Keeps hair in place the whole day long, too. In addition... Wild Root Cream Oil is non-alcoholic, relieves dryness, and removes loose dandruff. So, fellas, next time you buy a hair tonic, look twice, and you'll look twice as good. Yes, look twice, and make sure you get the familiar yellow and black package of Wild Root Cream Oil, America's favorite hair tonic. Again and again, it's the choice of men, and women, and children, too. On sale everywhere for as little as 29 cents. (laughs) characters used in this partly transcribed program are fictitious, and his similarity to persons living or dead is purely coincidental. This program is based on Frederick L. Collins' copyrighted book, The FBI and Peace and War, and is not an official program of the FBI. In tonight's story, Ed Begley played the part of Joe Ryan, Elspeth Eric was Ruby Winters, and Frank Reddick was Eddie Jackson. The radio dramatizations for The FBI and Peace and War are written by Louis Pelletier and Jack Fink. These programs are produced and directed by Betty Mandeville. And now... This is Hugh Holder saying good
1: night. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night is Six Shooter, starring James Stewart, followed by the lives of Harry Lyme. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night.
0: This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads.